I saw water pouring out from the temple. I was led through water that was ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, then a river over my head, water to swim in. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. The river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds. The trees on both banks will bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it is a special Sunday. We, I think we got to celebrate what God did last night. Yankees win game two of the playoffs. Yankee fans. All right, come on. <laughs> hey, there's another uh, church down the street for you, Mets fans. I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm just kidding. Actually, I, I'm kidding. My name's Tim. I am, uh, serve as a lead pastor, also a super fan, yes, of the Yankees. But uh, we are celebrating today because it is the sixth anniversary of what we call the Miracle at Mountainside. This is our Mountainside uh, County, or our Union County campus. We have one in Mountainside and Garwood. Can we hear it for them? Happy birthday, guys, to you. Very exciting. If you're new, you should probably know a little bit about this. Um, about six years ago, God literally did a miracle in our work that really changed the trajectory of our church forever. Um, we were five or six years old at the time, 100% portable. In other words, we just had churches and hotels and schools. And uh, I invited a guy named Warren Bird. Um, he actually is a national researcher. He writes about large churches and stuff. He's my co-author. Helped write the book with me. And, um, but at the time, he had written his like 27th book or something. Had him come speak to the staff. And on his way out, he hands me his book. And he said, uh, and the title of it was Better Together, Making Church Mergers Work. And I'd never heard of a church merger. And he said, don't be surprised if an older established church that perhaps has plateaued or is even dying at some point approaches Liquid about becoming a campus. We're just seeing that more and more. And so, you know, it's when someone hands you a book, you're, you appreciate it. But honestly, guys, I got like a stack of 15 books like I, I haven't even gotten to yet. So I like put it back on top, on the top of the stack. Like I got to skim these at some point. And the next morning at 6 a.m., uh, Mike Leahy, who's our pastor of campuses, receives a phone call from Joe Crason of Mountainside Gospel Chapel, a 191-year-old historic church in central Jersey. I didn't know where Mountainside was. It's in Union County right by Summit. And uh, Joe called Mike and said, uh, hey, I know this is a call out of the blue, shot in the dark, totally out of left field. But is there any possibility um, that we could discuss the idea of Mountainside becoming a campus of Liquid Church? And when Mike called me, this was, you know, 6 a.m. the next morning, we were like, where's that book? You know, and we went and got that book, and uh, we met with the Mountainside leaders and uh, senior pastor Greg Haig, his wife Linda, the elders, and we discovered our church actually had a lot in common together. Both of them were Bible-based and Christ-centered. We had a love for lost people and a passion for loving people. And what we learned is uh, Mountainside actually has a very rich spiritual history. In fact, it's one of the earliest churches in New Jersey. Take a look at this. This is the 1891 stone chapel they built before there was Route 22. 
In fact, when they built the church, this was the original chapel, um, they built uh, Route 22, went around it because they called it the Island Chapel. It was forbidden in those days to actually knock down a church. Now it's like 7-Eleven, boom. And so they, like, you know, that, so they moved the church back in the 70s, uh, helped begin the Sunday school movement in the area, busing kids from all over the neighborhood. I think we have a picture of that. It was thriving in the 70s, 400 families. And they started this brand new building. It was really quite a ministry center. You know, it would be packed every weekend. But you guys know how this goes. In the 1980s, right, the neighborhood changed. Uh, key families moved away. And the church started to plateau. In the 1990s, it kind of uh, began this slow and steady decline. And so by the early 2000s, they really began dwindling in numbers, kind of bleeding out. And they were down to 27 people when they called us. And uh, I remember Dr. Haig said to me, he said, Tim, you know, the the culture changed, but we didn't. And so they were down, these 27 folks, and it was mostly seniors in their 60s and 70s. And so when they called about becoming a, a campus of Liquid, I said, well, you know, have you been to Liquid? And they were very honest. They said, oh, yeah, we hate your music. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate your honesty. They're like, no, no, they said, it's just too loud for us. It's too loud. They're like, you know, earplugs, just turn down a hearing aid kind of thing. But I appreciate the honesty. And so I said, well, you know, respectfully, if I could just ask, um, why would you want to become a campus of liquid? And they said, because you're baptizing our grandkids. You see, some of their children had found a home in Middlesex, and they saw their faith being passed on to the next generation. You, you need to understand this. At liquid, we're, we're closed-handed about the message. The gospel never changes. But we're open-handed about our methods, the, the way we, 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 we reach the next generation. And so our two teams began praying together about a ministry merger where Mountainside and Liquid would actually become one, and we closed the church doors and rebirthed it as a campus. Now, we read Dr. Bird's book together. We fasted and prayed, and it's a miracle because nothing happens in church world in 30 days. But in 30 days, uh, under the leadership of Greg Haig, the congregation of Mountainside met and voted. This is actually the, the vote. I, I took a picture. I'll, I'll never forget this. Those 27 seniors, they're raising their hands to donate their entire church building property assets, $4 million, to become the first permanent campus of Liquid. God, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like, that's incredible. Guys, like, only God. I'd be curious to know, how many of you were here for that? Six, six years ago, to show of hands here? Wow, okay, only like a third, half? That's why I want you to tell you, you got to understand this is part of something that God is doing. We were six years old at the time, and suddenly we became 197 years old, you know, at, uh, overnight. We, we'd never had a building before, and over the next year, it was beautiful just to see the generations unite together to rebirth the church. Every generation, we had builders, boomers, Xers, millennials. There's Dr. Haig. He gave up his suit and put on a T-shirt, you know, handed out programs at the door. And uh, we spent a year renovating the church together, saying, Jesus, breathe new life in this next generation. And God did a miracle. Uh, so opening day, six years ago, over 1,000 people showed up to worship Jesus. It became totally God. You know, Mountainside became the fastest growing campus in our history at the time. So think about that. From 27 saints to over 1,000 families on opening day. Why? Because, understand this, 27 fully devoted followers of Jesus were willing to open their hands and sacrifice themselves to pass the faith on to the next generation. Guys, I know we like to talk about, like, you know, reaching the next generation. Can we just take a moment and thank God for the previous generation? Because that's who I want to be when I grow up. Understand, 
We are like, yeah, a young church, but we stand on their shoulders. That's why we're here today. I'm inspired by this. I hope you are too. They really are my heroes. I mean, can you imagine, you know, being in your 60s or 70s and handing over your ministry that you invest your whole life into next generation? That's inspiring. You know, that's who I, 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 when, I think, like, when I have white hair, and it's getting, it's getting there. Okay, it's going to get there. <laughs> I want to be like June Bergaller. June Bergaller was one of the original seniors at Mountainside. She taught Sunday school for over 40 years. She has a contagious love for Jesus, and a couple weeks ago, she put on a Krispy Kreme hat and threw out donuts at everybody, you know? And uh, just so thankful for, for, for saints, spiritual mothers like June, spiritual fathers like Greg. So understand, guys, we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Amen? Amen. The seniors at Mount Side, they didn't come to Liquid because, like, we're younger or cooler or smarter or something. It's because our spiritual forefathers and mothers were courageous enough to take the gospel seriously, where they saw Jesus actually sacrifice his life so that something could be resurrected. And they trusted God for the impact. Well, the impact went far beyond Mountainside. It had a ripple effect. Another church was watching all this go down six years ago, Garwood United Church of Christ, the town over. And they were about to close their doors. They were down to a dozen or so members at the time. And when they saw what the senior saints did at Mountainside, Trent and Nancy Mattern actually reached out, and they led their congregation through a similar process, and they voted to donate their church to us. It became our second campus in Union County. And Garwood is now thriving under Pastor Keon's leadership. It grew by double digits this year, guys. It's incredible. Let's give God a praise. Because I think, I think what's unique about that, watch, I think what's unique, and it's the power of when God unites the generations to do something together that neither of them could do alone. That they came together to renew the, the bride of Christ for a new generation. Psalm 145 says this. I love this. This kind of describes it. One generation proclaims the Lord's works to another. They tell of his mighty acts. There's a generational transfer that has to happen. Well, today I want to talk about uniting the generations. And uh, this is one of our six streams that I see the Holy Spirit blessing, not just in our church, but churches around the nation. And I want you to apply this personally to you, to your family. Because at every campus I know there's, in the audience, there's moms and dads, uh, there's grandparents, grandmas, there's aunts and uncles, and maybe you're worried, you're concerned. Because you see your sons or your, or your daughter kind of, you know, turn their back on the Lord. Or their, 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 their grandkids are kind of walking away from the faith. Or they're just kind of drifting, you know, your niece or your nephew. And you may be here today and you may be, wouldn't that be tragic? Like if we dropped the baton and didn't pass on the faith to the next generation. Well, today I came to give you like a, a B12 shot of hope and a challenge uh, and a message I'm calling Redig the Well. Can you say that with me? Redig the Well. Now, last week we talked about these clean water wells we're drilling in Rwanda. This ain't that. This is a different kind of well I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about redigging wells of spiritual revival in our generation, redigging the well of faith in your family to make sure that that river of living water flows free and clear, not just for your generation, but for generations to come. Amen? For, for your kids, for your kids' kids, and for their kids' kids. Kids. Okay. <laughs> Our scripture is from Genesis chapter 26, if you want to open your Bible there. This is a story from one of the earliest families in the Bible, a guy named Abraham. Everyone say Abraham. Abraham. He had a son named Isaac. Say Isaac. Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. 
And so Abraham, you may know, is the father of the nation of Israel. Uh, father Abraham had many sons, and then here's this all you need to know. God said, made a promise to him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your children, and you will be a blessing. You're going to have his descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Well, this story takes place after Abraham has died. So Father Abraham is dead, but now his son Isaac is leading the family. And they're living in the desert, and it's a dry and kind of dusty place where there isn't much water. And here's what verse 12 says. It says, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because why? The The Lord blessed him. How many of you know wealth is a gift from God? Anytime you prosper, anytime you're blessed, it's just from your daddy's hand to you because he trusts you. It says, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until Isaac became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So God blessed Isaac just like he had blessed Abraham. And you notice they're ranchers, right? So they had flocks of sheep and goats and, and herds of cattle. And so one of the reasons Isaac was rich is because his father Abraham had dug wells to water his flocks in the desert. Abraham, think of it this way, was a digger. <laughs> he wasn't a gold digger. He was a well digger. And if you skim Genesis, you'll see that Abraham dug a well whenever his family moved. In fact, this is actually one of Abraham's wells you can visit today in Israel. If you go to Israel next May, you'll go to Beersheba, okay? It's ancient, it's a historical site now, but this is one of Abraham's wells that he passed down to his son Isaac as an inheritance. And let me tell you, if your parents died and gave you a well, you're like, woo, I'm rich. Because it was like receiving an oil well in our time. Understand, water is totally scarce in the Middle East, so when you had a well with fresh water, it means you can grow stuff, you can water your flocks, you're going to be a wealthy person. So it'd be like your father dying and being like, here's an oil well, so you'd be like, woo. And so that's why Isaac was blessed, because his father had dug a dozen or so wells like these, and he passed them on to Isaac's generation. So this is about generational transfer. Just one problem. Scripture says Isaac had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines what? Envied him. They were jealous. Only thing you got to know about Philistines, they were the enemies of God's people. They were a band of kind of vicious desert terrorists who would attack God's people and try to plunder and destroy them. And so when Isaac inherited his father's wells, they were jealous. So look what they did. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his daddy, Abraham, the Philistines did what, church? Philistines stopped them up, filling them with earth. Now, when it says they filled them with earth, it just means they, they shoveled dirt into it. You get it? To clog it up. I was thinking like, oh, I should just like, I should dramatize this. I, was, I literally, I was like going to get a bucket of dirt and have a shovel and be like, here you go, bro. Like, you know, just kind of wake everybody up. And the cleaning crew was like, that idea is not from God. That's, that's from the devil. You got the idea. <laughs> they, they, they threw all this dirt into the well to muddy the waters. You get it? They didn't just contaminate or taint the waters. They plugged it up. They packed it so full of dirt that Abraham's son, Isaac, and his son, Jacob, couldn't drink from it anymore. And that's tragic. Because those wells are supposed to run free and clear for generations. But Isaac, Isaac's a smart dude. He's like, I'm not going to let the enemy win. So he does something amazing in verse 18. And this is the verse that really inspired me. I hope this is going to inspire you too. It says this. I, let's read it out loud. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. 
And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Yeah, you catch that? The next generation redug the well of the previous generation and said, we're not going to drink muddy water. We're going to have the same undiluted gospel that the previous generation had, that my father Abraham had. Church, I think with all my heart that like this is a picture of our critical mission today in this hour in the dark culture we're living in. It's for families to have a passion to pass on the living water, the pure, undiluted faith of the gospel. Because if we're going to see revival in our time, every generation has to redig the well of their spiritual forefathers and mothers who went before and actually have the guts, the spiritual guts to say, in my time, in my day, we're not going to compromise with the culture. We're not going to water down the truth of God's word. Because we're going to have fresh living water for our children and our children's children. Say amen if you agree. Now, that's a bold statement. How many of you know that families today are under spiritual attack? Satan loves to muddy up our doctrine, throw dirt on our values, on our faith. Think about your family. Again, if you're a mom or dad, you know, think about your kids or your grandma or grandpa. You're thinking about your grandkids. You know, are they walking with God? Have they embraced the pure faith in Christ and experienced the Holy Spirit themselves? Well, I'll just tell you, I mean, in our church, like most churches, some are and some aren't. But I want to give you some hope today. Because if you think about it, I look at this thing and I'm like, well, you, can, you understand what a well is. It's just a hole. It's a hole in the earth. And if you're here today and you're like, well, I think my family's in a little bit of a hole, good news. You are closer to water than you've ever been before, all right? You got to keep digging, you got to keep praying, slosh, you're going to hit it with some effort. In the Bible, ancient wells were significant, um, obviously, very hard to dig because it was hand dug. They didn't have drill rigs like I showed you last week. They didn't have modern technology like we do in Rwanda. They actually dug them by hand with stones. Now, what's funny is you don't have to read about it. At one time, uh, about, uh, I think it was nine years ago, Colleen and I were in Ethiopia, and we came upon a village where they were hand digging a well. This is the well. You can see we actually stuck the video camera in with a rope. <laughs> and at the very bottom of that hole, 30 feet deep, there's a man digging. And he was digging with stones. Look at the ladder. It's like primitive, okay, right? They have trees and like branches to make the ladder. And this was amazing to witness. Watch. This is how they hand dig a well in Ethiopia. In Amhara region of northern Ethiopia. As you can see, it's under construction. Uh, down about 30 feet so far. There's a guy down there digging and the rest of the community is bringing up clay and the dirt, uh, a bunch of different uh, rock and clay formations on the way down. And normally it takes about uh, one month to complete a well from start to finish. And these are the different levels of the earth. You can see the soil here is like a goldish, reddish brown. Then it turns to pink. And finally, deepest down is dark. And that's how you dig a well. We've never seen anything like it. They're like, get the dirt out, man. It takes us three weeks. They were like, would you like to, to go down and see it? They're like, you could use our ladder. I was like, no, bro, I'm just going to pray for you. you know, like, they're like, we ain't going to stop till we hit it. See, they, they wouldn't stop di digging till they hit fresh water. And I think that's a picture of how Abraham dug this well in Genesis for his family because he understood something. He's like, I'm going to put this effort, all this energy into digging. It's not just going to bless me and my wife. 
It's going to bless my kids, but I'm also understanding I'm digging a well for my son Isaac and his kids, for my grandson Jacob and his generation. You know how the Bible defines a good person? Listen to this. Proverbs 13 says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. They have legacy thinking. In other words, that's how I feel for my kids, you know, Chase and Dell. But I also feel that for my future grandkids, their kids. Guys, I want the next generation of believers to inherit in, at Liquid a Holy Spirit-filled church in every city where we have a campus. I think God's dream for our church is that the living water goes from generation to generation, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. And every time we proclaim the gospel truth that there's salvation in Jesus alone, without compromise, without muddying it up, we are redigging the well for the next generation of believers. Amen? So understand when you, when you, yeah, go give God a praise. It's going to be one of those. I'm telling you, watch, get ready. When you come to church, you're redigging a well for your kids. When you pray, you're redigging a well. When you fast, when you give, when you sacrifice, you are securing a well of revival and making sure that our children have the same refreshing living water that we had and that our forefathers and mothers in the faith passed down to us. Now, I know a lot of people think New Jersey is a dry place, and it is, right? Okay? It's one of the reasons we named the church Liquid. A lot of people, in fact, Colleen and I were out in Colorado this week speaking at this church conference, and when they said, and this is guys from Liquid Church in New Jersey, I actually had someone come up to me and said, I didn't know there were Christians in New Jersey. <laughs> I was like, there are now, bro. <laughs> See, most people don't know that all the spiritual revivals that swept across our country started here. Did you know that? Some of you are like, what? In New Jersey? It's because we don't know history. In the 1700s and 1800s, historical revivals, great awakenings, bubbled up right here that swept across the land. Revivalists like George Whitfield preached in towns like Basking Ridge, New Jersey, actually where our church was started. And so to help you understand a little of this history, I asked Pastor Niffin to take you on a little tour. Watch this. In the 1700s, God moved in New Jersey in some really unique ways. God's people were praying all across the Northeast and they ignited a series of revivals called the First and Second Great Awakening. It not only revived the church, but it transformed an entire nation. In fact, some of these very wells of revival are located here in New Jersey. Come on, let's go take a look. Welcome to Newark, one of the oldest cities in New Jersey, an urban hub where some of the earliest revivals took place. In fact, the name Newark means New Ark, a nickname the Puritans first gave this place because it was going to be a place where people would find salvation in Christ. In fact, in August of 1807, the presence of God came with such power, the whole city was saturated with the influence of God. One observer said it had the appearance as if the waters were covering over the city and then they all fell in one spot. Really, Newark was saturated with the Spirit of God. early 1800s in New Providence, there was a Methodist camp meeting that Francis Asbury was actually the pastor of. You probably heard of Asbury Park. It actually comes from the first Methodist bishop, which is Francis Asbury. And when Asbury came to New Providence, something shifted. I would even say it was a spiritual climate change because all of a sudden Christians in this little town, Presbyterian and Methodist, started coming together and praying for unity. And God answered their prayers. People came to Christ. And again, the movement was so big, they had to launch another church, Union Village United Methodist Church. But God wasn't done in this area. 
Welcome to the historic Mount Bethel Baptist Meeting House right here in Warren, New Jersey. Right over here is the pulpit where Edward C. Ambler preached the gospel. And in 1850, his little church of 100 people blew up for over 500 people. They actually had to launch a brand new movement. And this movement led to another church called Millington Baptist Church. I'm right now in the basement of Millington Baptist Church, where Pastor Tim Lucas and his wife Colleen every Sunday morning would set up these 12 chairs and lead their young adults Bible study. This was the place where it all started. This was the place where God moved in the hearts and the minds of Pastor Tim and the elders of Millington Baptist Church. And with their blessing, we were able to launch out and fulfill what God called us to do. And that's why Liquid Church is Liquid Church here today, because of the faithfulness of Millington Baptist Church, the faithfulness of Mount Bethel's meeting house over 200 years ago. We are standing on the shoulders of giants today, and that's why Liquid Church exists. Guys, God is readying our region for revival. God is using churches like Liquid here in New Jersey, the Northeast, to see the living waters flow again, to actually redig the wells of revival for a thirsty generation. God moved before, and he's gonna do it again. Isn't that cool? We're standing on holy ground. You didn't even know it. I mean, it's amazing, right? Like, Newark was named New Ark by the Puritans because it's like, do you want to get saved? Go to Newark. What? <laughs> they named it New Providence because there were so many people in the balcony coming to worship Jesus. The balcony collapsed and killed nobody. And they said, that's the providence of God. We're naming the town New Providence. It's all over New Jersey. We have no idea because we don't know history. But understand, you're worshiping on holy ground where the Spirit flowed with great power across our whole nation. And so, guys, I just feel like it's time for our church to help redig the wells of revival for the next generation. Amen? Because we're in this culture right now that kind of muddies up the water, right? Throws dirt on our doctrine, got to plug up the wells, and we've got to redig the well. Turn to your neighbor and say, redig the well. Redig the well. Now, look at this. How do you do this? Now, I'm going to teach you. Look at this. In Genesis 26, verse 18, it says this Isaac reopened the wells had been dug at the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up when? After Abraham died. Why did they wait? Because they knew Abraham. He's like, oh, I'm going to fight you for this, bro. <laughs> Abraham would go to war over these wells, okay? But they're like, they're like well, we're just wait till daddy dies <laughs> because we know the next generation won't defend it with that kind of passion. Then we can throw some dirt in. And so Satan says, I'm going to wait to destroy what the former generation accomplished. And I read that, and sometimes I'm like, I wonder about our families, you know? Like, it's like Satan waiting for, you know, you know, grandmas and grandpas to die off because they believed in the power of prayer. They believed in the pure gospel. They had a drink of the water of the Holy Spirit. But the enemy says, well, just wait for them to die off because then that, the faith of that family is going to dry up. Guys, I just came to tell you today, I'm just going to declare it, not on our watch. In this church family, we are determined that our children are going to drink from the same well we drank from. Our kids and our grandkids, they don't need some watered-down gospel, okay? They don't need dirty water that's mixed with the world. What they need is one drink of the Holy Spirit so that they won't thirst again. 
We have to unite the generations and redig these wells together. I'd just be curious to know even right now, how many of you are 60 years of age or older? In fact, uh, let, let's do something. This just kind of, I'll have a little fun with this. If you are 60 years or older at every campus, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Would you just stand up for a minute? Just, just stand up. Yeah, give him a hand. Give him a hand, man. Praise God for you, Joe. Praise God for you, Vince. So grateful for you, man. Give it, stay standing. Stay standing. <laughs> Some of you are like, my knees hurt. I don't want to stand. First off, I want you to know, we, we don't use the word old in this church. You are chronologically superior to the rest of us, okay? I'm just telling you. Now, listen, listen. You got to understand, what I want you to know is, I just want to tell you something, like as, as, your, as your pastor. As long as I am pastor of this church, I pledge to you, we will not water down the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who believes. We're not going to let the dirt of this world get in and clog up the well. But listen, listen, I need your help. I need your help because you're the Abraham generation. And we need your help to raise up an Isaac generation so you teach them how to defend the well of faith so it can keep running clear and free for their kids. Because this is a generation under attack, guys. It really is. And there's an enemy that doesn't want them to embrace the face of their, of their, of their fathers and mothers. Now, I'm going to go into this. I know some of you are like, can I sit down? Yes, you can sit, sit down. Give them one more hand. Can we thank our spiritual forefathers and mothers? Here's why we need your help. In the book of Judges is the saddest verse in the Bible. I think this is like heartbreaking. It says that entire generation passed away. And a new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel. Isn't that tragic? Like they, they dropped the ball. They, they failed to pass on the baton of faith. There was not a generational transfer. And that's my fear, guys. Because we are living in an age right now of political correctness and of cultural compromise. And the reality is, if we don't stand up and speak up, our kids are going to get a lukewarm faith that saves nobody. So we've got to unite the generations and say, I ain't letting that dirt in this house. It's 2019 and the enemy's having a field day just clogging up the wells in the church. Right? The wells of modesty, they're clogged up. We got a culture that celebrates, you know, perversity, any which way goes morality. The wells of morality are clogged up. The wells of marriage are clogged up. I mean, our culture now openly mocks biblical values and celebrates perversion and lust. And, but notice something here. The Bible says when Isaac redug the wells, this is so key. You notice this. He didn't change their names. It says he gave them the what? Same names that his father had given him. Now, this may be politically incorrect, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, we want to be a modern church that reaches modern people, but there's some things we ain't going to rename. We're not just going to redefine it to put a little cool whip on it so you could taste a little bit better. We're not going to rename some of the wells the way the world wants us to. I'll just tell you, like, as a, you're your preacher, I'm not going to rename sin and say, oh, she made some bad choices. Sin is deadly. It separates you from God. You have to know that. You, 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 I'm not going to rename salvation. You, you, you still have to repent from sin and be saved, and I'm not going to rename it. There's two, you got 70, 80 years on earth, and then your soul goes to eternity, and there's two places. There's heaven and there's hell. And I'm not going to rename that to be politically correct and preach a cool whip gospel to you. You understand? 
So, I'm just... <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I, know, I brought a friend today. Oh, no. That's going all hell on me. I'm just, I, they need to know the truth. You got to be washed by the blood of Jesus, baptized in water, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I ain't going to rename that well. I'm not going to water it down. If you're living in sin, you're separated from God. You got to ask Jesus to save you. Truth is relevant, not relative. Relative means it changes. Relevant means that is the most important thing I've ever heard. So you see, I'm passionate. I'm not mad. I don't hate you. I love you. So I'm telling you the truth. You can't have peace and purpose with one foot in the world Monday through Friday, getting drunk and lit up and sinning all week, and I'm going to run to God on Sunday. It doesn't work that way. In Revelation, Jesus said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to what? Spit you out of my mouth. Turn your neighbor and spit. No, no, don't. <laughs> That's a verse worth underlining. Jesus is like, I looked at your faith and it made me want to puke. Because it's not hot or cold, it's lukewarm. The problem is so many of us are so accustomed to drinking lukewarm, dirty water, the world's water. And I'm not going to rename that well. Sin is sin and you got to get the dirt out. Jesus is the only one who gets the dirt out through his death on the cross. There are not multiple ways to heaven. I know that's one of the world's things. It's like, well, there's many ways to God. Here's what the Bible says. Only Jesus has the power to save. His name is the only one in all the world that can save anyone. In other words, there's not multiple ways to God. There's one way, and it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. You actually have to say, I can't save myself. Jesus, I need you to get the dirt out of me. Isaac redug the wells. He gave him the same names that his father gave him. And so this may not be politically correct, but you know what? I'm like... I don't care about politics anymore. I'm just, just like, screw it, <laughs> you know? Like, people are so obsessed now with politics. Everything we hear or see is through the lens of politics. Is this left or is it right, right or left? People have forgotten there's an up and a down, not just a right and a left. We're living in the last days, people. We gotta redig the well of bold preaching. We gotta redig the well of deliverance from drugs and alcohol and sex and greed and addiction, all this stuff. Gotta get the dirt out. And say, God, I'm not gonna just mix the dirt of the world with the worship of Jesus. I want, I want all that out of me so I can get all of him in here. You gotta have that passion. The problem is we're used to this muddy water and we gotta redig the wells and don't rename them. You know, this week I, I asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, what else? And he said, Tim, in, in addition to sin and salvation, there's two other wells that I think it's important to redig in this next season at Liquid. We've got to dig it deeper. And the second one is prayer. We need a deeper well of prayer in this church. Jesus said to them, my house will be called a house of what? Prayer. How many of you know prayer is the real power behind everything God does? It's not the stuff on the stage. It's not on social media. It's prayer. Powerful from the heart, on your knees, prevailing prayer. God, get the dirt out. And that's how the breakthrough comes. Let, let me show you. Let me show you. I'm just going to pull back the curtain. Let me show you a photo that touches my heart. This is our whole staff and our prayer teams gathered together before the fall began. 
And we're all gathered together on this stage just declaring and praying God's promises, his protection over our fall ministry plans. And then, and then they, they were so sweet. They prayed over me and Colleen, our marriage, our family, our kids. Just like hit me in the heart. Guys, that's the power behind what God's doing at Liquid. It's, you understand? It's not because we have some book or we're on some top 100 list. Don't be fooled by the surface stuff you see on social media. The secret power behind all good ministry is prayer. Prayer is the spark that's lit the fuse of every single revival and spiritual awakening in the world. I'm not talking about short, mechanical, you know, uh, you know God bless me prayer. It's what Jonathan Edwards called extraordinary prayer. It's united. It's upward. It's God-focused, not man-focused. Man-centered prayer is, you know, God, could you please do this for me? But revival prayer is, God, pour out your glory on us. We're dead if we don't have the Holy Spirit. You've got to break through in this community. Your name is more important than any name. You've got to know. At Liquid, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe God still speaks. Amen? He speaks. He'll talk to you. The question is, are you listening? You got to get the dirt out of your ears if you want to hear God's direction for your life. I know. I heard it this week. I, this is as fresh as this week. I heard God's voice. Colleen and I, like I said, we're in Colorado. I love it out there, man. I just like, man, red rocks. <laughs> it's awesome. And um, we're at this church conference. And let me just, you know, to be real, I always go to these things with a little bit of trepidation, you know, like because, you know, it, just understand it's God behind what's happening. So we don't like get full of ourselves because then we wreck it, right? But I use these kind of things just to get away and seek spiritual direction for my life, my family, our church. And what I've found is a change of pace plus a change of pace, I come home with a change of perspective. And so I held a, a prayer before God. I say, God, would you reveal to me, I need revelation, reveal to me what this next season is all about. Like what's the next season of, of my leadership, my, my family? What's the next season for our church? And guys, God, God, it, God spoke to me. <laughs> Like, I got a word from the Lord in Colorado, and God said, Tim, you're about to cross a threshold in your life. He said, I'm going to shift your focus from destiny, asking, what will I become, to legacy? What will I leave behind? In other words, as a church even, sometimes I think we're like, well, what will God someday make us into? But there's a shift that happens, I think, when you become a little bit more spiritually mature, and you think, no, what will I leave behind? Who will I take with me? I believe this is a personal word for me, but I'm also guessing, I'm like, should I share it? Because I don't fully understand what it means. And God said, share it, because it's for somebody else too. Maybe you're here today and you've sensed that, that your life has been about success, but you're like God saying, I want it to be significant. Because what I've found is typically we spend 20 or 30 years of your life chasing after your destiny, right? Like, where are we going? We're going to become someday. And so we're building and climbing and business and family and all that. But if you're a healthy, mature, spiritually growing adult, I think somewhere like in your 40s, there's a transition to, to thinking about your legacy. What am I going to leave behind and who am I going to take with me? Who am I investing in? And suddenly you redefine success because it's no longer about you being fruitful. Success is now about growing fruit on someone else's tree. So your life isn't how high can we go, but who can I bring with me? How deep can we dig? You know, the next generation is in many ways a fatherless generation. It's sad, but it's not new. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. 
He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many what? Fathers. He's talking about spiritual fathers, mentors. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Whenever I talk with the next generation, one of the things they crave are spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. In other words, older, mature believers who've walked with the Lord, you've you've got some miles on the odometer, and you can actually offer them hard-won wisdom and, and, and teach them how to have a godly marriage because maybe they grew up in a home they've never even seen one. They need to know, I want to know how to raise a family. They want to know how to balance their, their career, how to find God's purpose for their life. So saints, we need your help. That's why I had you stand up because if in your, in your 60s or 70s, don't fade away or stay silent. Stand up and mentor the next generation. We need to redig the wells of mentoring. The Bible's word for that is discipleship. But same thing, it's just that God's design for the church. The God's dream is for older men to pour into younger men and treat them as their sons. It's for older, mature, I won't say older, chronologically superior women (laughs) to pour into the younger women and treat them like daughters. In Titus 2, Paul writes this, I love this verse. Older women must train the younger women to love their husbands because it doesn't come naturally. (laughs) Notice there... Older women must train them (laughs) to love their husbands and their kids, to live wisely because there's a lot of foolishness on Instagram, to be pure because there's a lot of hoochie mamas out, to work in their home, to do good. How do I balance all of this? The Bible says godly mentoring is vital to a healthy church. Guys, you're sitting in a row next to millennials who are hungry for mentors to show them how to do relationships how to balance careers, how to live out their faith in the real world. So your strength, seniors, is needed now more than ever. And I want to leave you with this because I think it's an inspiration. It is to me. It's a beautiful example of this happening in an organic way. It's a multi-generational mentoring happening in Mountainside who we're celebrating today. You'll see three women here. This is Linda Haig. She is uh, the, the uh, wife of Dr. Haig, the, the, uh, who faithfully served at Mountainside for 30, 40 years. I'll just tell you she's in her 60s. Let's just do it that way, okay? This is Denise, who's actually in her 40s, and Rebecca is in her 20s. Now, watch this. This is kind of cool because you got three generations. So Linda met Denise last February when Denise stepped into the role of campus coordinator. And they became friends. They began going out to lunch, and, and Denise was just like, man, I feel like I can talk to Linda. She's like my mom. I can talk to her for hours. And so two strangers suddenly become, you know, friends, and it led to discipleship. And so Denise said to Lenny, you know, I struggle with confidence, as do many, you know, women and men. I think we all do. But she said, I always hear these lies, Linda, you know, if only I were smarter or or wiser or prettier or more polished or more like so-and-so. And so Linda began speaking God's truth into her, that confidence doesn't come from who we are but who Christ is. And they began just spending time going through the scriptures. And, and whenever Denise was distraught, Linda would call her. She'd, she'd share books. They did Bible study. They prayed together, cried together. And Linda taught Denise that God will give you the strength for exactly what he's called you to do. And Denise said this. She said, Linda is my mentor. We all need a Linda in our lives. Someone to point us to Jesus Christ in every situation. Someone to point or support us with spiritual truth. Someone to pray for us. Someone who's rooting for us. Linda not only speaks life and love, but she speaks God's truth. She never tells me what I want to hear. She tells me what I should hear according to God's word and his love. And Linda would tell you that when she looks at Denise, she sees a younger version of herself. And she says, I just love that I can pass on 
all my struggles, all my life experience, and pour it into Denise. You understand? That's generational mentoring. Now watch this. This is a 60-something pouring into a 40-something who's now pouring into a 20-something. Denise actually met Rebecca while they were serving in Liquid Family together, and she kind of looked up to her, but then became more of a mentor in life and faith. Denise showed Rebecca, here's how you write a prayer box. She taught her to write down her prayers, and then when God answers them, record that, keep in a box, because there's going to be a moment where you got to go back and say, God's faithful. <laughs> and ever since, they've shared life together in small groups, serving at Liquid Family. And um, here's what Rebecca wrote. She said, Denise taught me the power of God's will through prayer and faith in his plan. I grew up thinking religion was for Sunday until I met Denise who showed her faith is all the time, especially when you have someone who loves you and cherishes you for who you are. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? I mean, you catch this? Guys, these are three generations of incredible female disciples who are redigging the wells of faith together. They are fulfilling Jesus' great commandment. Go and make disciples. Mentoring is, is literally just another word for discipleship. It's making intentional time to pour into a younger believer and share what God has taught you. And this is why I'm asking for your help, guys. Because you and I are living at a historic moment. It's never happened before in the history of church. You're making history right now. You are sitting in a room with five generations. The church has never had five generations all in the same room. You're living in history. There are now builders, boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. I feel one of my job is to be the translator between the generations, okay? But it's time to unite the generations because millennials and Gen Z are desperate for mentorship. Now, don't let that word intimidate you, mentoring. Because you're like, my life is so busy, Tim, I can't add another thing. Mentoring is not adding something to your calendar. It's including someone in your calendar. Well, that's good. You hear that? Let's see if I can say it. Mentoring is not adding something to your calendar. It's just including someone in your calendar. It's making time for friendship, for a phone call, sharing lunch or coffee, and transferring what the Lord taught you to teach them. It's a shift from focusing on your destiny. What will I become? How high can I go to your legacy? What will I leave behind? Who will I take with me? It's learning to grow fruit on someone else's tree. Abraham passed the well on to Isaac. Isaac passed it on to Jacob. It's a generational transfer that keeps the living water flowing for the next generation. So I just want to challenge you if you're one of our senior saints, chronologically superior, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, here's my word to you. If you ain't dead, God ain't done. If you ain't dead, God ain't done. I want challenge you to be like a Linda and actually look at your campus, down your row after the service is over, for somebody who's 10 or 20 years younger. And just ask them, would you like to be discipled? And you're like, wait, what? Like, ain't that going to be awkward? Do you want me to disciple you? What, like, what do I, like, who does that? Uh, Jesus? How did Jesus call the disciples? He's like, like, you, you be my disciple, come follow me, let's go. I'm going to show you how to walk with God. If it wasn't awkward for Jesus, it's not going to be awkward for you. Guys, it's only when the generations unite Abraham's and Isaac's together and redig the wells of salvation, 
of prayer, of discipleship, that's when the world will see true spiritual revival. Guys, I just close with this. I, I, like, you guys feel it? The world's getting darker. You know, I believe we are. I think we're living in the last days. But you know what? I ain't scared. <laughs> I'm not scared. I actually see a new generation rising up, thirsty for the pure, undiluted gospel, thirsty for the Holy Spirit. And you know what God promises in Acts 2? Here's what he says is going to happen in the last days. He says, in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. Who's that? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. Translation, the best is yet to come. Revival is coming. It's going to be young and old, men and women, fathers, sons, grandpas, uncles, brothers, moms, grandmas, aunts, granddaughters. That's when we'll see revival in our day, when the generations unite and redig the wells together. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you right now, God. We just thank you for your word. It's so rich. But God, we're so poor. We have settled, I just have, for a watered-down version of not only the gospel, but of life in Christ. Whoever would find his life needs to lose it, and then you'll really find it. Father, I know right even now, at all of our campuses, there are people under the sound of my voice who are feeling convicted because they're like, man, I'm drinking that muddy water, and I need to get the dirt out. Can't even get past that. They're just like, I gotta get the dirt out. Jesus, that's why you came. I thank you, Father, that you are the only one who lived a perfect, righteous life, and so you were the perfect substitute on that cross. And when you died, you took all our dirt, all our sin, shame, and guilt on Jesus, and you gave us his righteousness. And now anybody who believes in him, calls on the name of Jesus, shall be saved. With all heads bowed, if you're here today and you're like, I got to get the dirt out. I feel God tell me, get the dirt out. Would you just put your hand up? Say, pray for me, Pastor Tim. Hands up all over the place. Praise God. Yeah, awesome. Let's get the dirt out. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just pray together. Let's pray together. Just pray these words after me, just from your heart. Jesus, get the dirt out today. Oh, I got, everybody needs to pray this. Jesus, get the dirt out today. Cleanse my heart. Forgive my compromise. The way I've ignored you. The way I'm polluted with the world. I want pure living water. Jesus, save me. I put my full faith in you. Adopt me in your family. Forgive my sin. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I give you my whole life. Multiply me, God. Father, as you live your life out through these broken pieces, God, I pray right now that there will be people that this moment of salvation for them will ripple out for generations to come. I'm, we're praying and believing you for family salvations. Not just a father or a mother, but a son, a daughter, grandchildren, Father God. We're receiving that in Jesus' name. We ask it, God, and we'll keep praying and we'll be asking for your glory until revival floods this place and goes across our nation. We ask that all glory would go to Jesus Christ. It's in his name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Church, let's give God a praise.